The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. The NBA All-Star Game last night, plus the firing of Jacques Vaughn by the Brooklyn Nets. We have a couple more phone calls there, and then in about another seven minutes or so, I'm going to ask Joe Leo if he could tell me who that guy was in the number 27 jersey that was when the Yankees reported today, when he reported to the Yankees today, because I, 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 I know who it was supposed to be. I know the number. I recognize who normally wears that number, but I didn't recognize the person that was in that jersey. As a matter of fact, we'll hear from him as well in a couple of minutes. Right now, we hear from Musa in Jersey. Musa, you are next on ninety-eight-seven. Hey, buddy, how are you? Great. What's happening? So, so I had uh, maybe a suggestion for okay. future All-Star games. If it Go. Could be like, what is it? Uh, if it could be like starters versus reserves, I think that would ignite some competition between the two. Well, the only problem here, Musa. Thanks for the phone call. Is the, the reserves are as the reserves are starters. <laughs> a lot of them are starters on their own squad, so that's not going to work. Where I understand what you're thinking, if it was a regular NBA squad, you got you know you it's like would be like practice, but no, the starters on. To give you an example, here were the bench players last night for the Western Conference bench players: Anthony Davis. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Carl Anthony Towns, who ended up with 50, Steph Curry, Devin Booker, and Anthony Edwards. That was the bench. That was the bench. No, that's that's not going to work, my friend. Not going to work. Fernando and Nutley. Fernando, you're next on 98.7. Hi, Larry. How are you? Good, man. What's Um, up? So somebody beat me to my question earlier regarding the point cap in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was hoping I'd ask you a different question. Okay. Uh, So regarding the stadium series, what do you think if they, like, uh, you know, locally held it, like, every two years? Because, I mean, if you were to do it every year, of course it would lose its magic. So at least I'm pretty sure, uh, I mean, I don't know if you were there, but it it was definitely – yeah, but it was really magical. I mean, you know, luckily for us, we had two great thrilling games. So mm-hmm. I just think if they were to do it every two years, maybe. Um, I, I know some people were saying it might not be so appealing on television, but then again, it's really for the fan experience of being there. Um, well, I, I, I think, here's what I think, and thanks for the phone call. I, I think he, there's two keys to it. One key is it would it would be successful even every two years because you have rivals that are involved. Okay, you had Devils Flyers and you had Rangers Islanders. You had rivals. And the way it was set up was the Rangers hadn't played the Islanders this season until yesterday. So it's perfect. The way it was set up is perfect. Also, I heard Don talk about it on the K-Show today. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Joe, that he said that this was, he'd been to other games that had been played in baseball stadiums. This was the first one at a football stadium. And so for it to be at a football stadium, I mean, it's 20,000 more seats. So it's more, you know, it's more fandom. You got more more opportunities for people to come see. So I think you could do every two years. I think you could because of the rivalry teams that you have involved. That's the key part of it. Got rivals. And that adds to it. That adds to the spice of it. So I think you can do it every two years. Uh, let's go to Andre in the Bronx. Andre, what's up? Hey, hey what's up, Larry? How you doing? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, I just want—I just don't get why everyone's so up 
game, but it's for fun. I just think, Andre, you're breaking up, but I got the gist of what you're asking. I'll speak for me. Andre, for me, it was, I know it's fun, but it was 211 points. I mean, I lost interest. The players weren't even playing. So for me, for as an all-star game, I, I need to see a little bit more, you know, a little bit more competition, a little bit more effort. I mean, if you saw the game, I'll say it again, the fourth quarter, Carl Anthony Towns, look, he wanted to have 50. And doggone it, he had 50. And he's running up and down the court. He, he, nobody was even running alongside of him. I mean, he, he got the basketball, put his head down, and went right to the basket. Halliburton did the same thing, put his head down, went right to the basket. Dame Lillard pulling up from the from before the midcourt line, the half-court line, and shooting threes. Steph Curry doing the same thing. I mean, it was just, it, it was, it was non-competitive. And so we were just having the discussion on how we can improve it. I'm not trying to get, I agree, just what Stephen A said, I said the same thing. I'm not trying to get them to play like it's the playoffs. I don't need playoff defense. It's an exhibition game. I got it. But I need some kind of, there's no competition in it. Nothing. Nothing. It was just up and down. That's all it was. And, I mean, it scored, the East scored over 100 points at the half. At the half. And so, and they all agreed we had the discussion, let's go for the record. I think the record was 197 last year or the year before. And so they were like 198, something like that. And they were like, let's go for 200. And so they got 211. So now is this going to be a thing where everybody's going to go like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's go for 220. Let's go for 230. Angels in Jersey. What's up, Angel? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with the, the last caller a few minutes ago about, I'm not sure why everyone's going so crazy about uh, the all-star game. For me, it was fun just looking at the best pickup, uh, pickup game, uh, like, uh, on on the universe and the thing is a perfect example let's say you let's say jason tatum in the celtics right they're saying that they might win it all this year right Mm -hmm. finally this year all right so let's say you want him to go all out or not all out but let's say 50 percent, and then he injures himself and he's done for the season then what then what but angel they players have been playing in all-star games going 30 percent and 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 possibly could get injured. They could get injured just running up and down the court. So it's not it, that's not the issue here. The issue here is the fact that I mean they could have twisted an ankle just running up and down. There was we get it's it's fun. And I don't know what pickup games you've seen, but I've seen pickup games where they at least put a hand up. And I'm not even saying that they needed to play tough defense. I'm not even saying that. I don't, it's an exhibition. I get it. But it was, it, it was lacking. It was lacking. What, they didn't, I mean, it was just, it, it wasn't interesting. After a while, it just got, okay, why are we still playing this game? It's over. Why are we still playing? Why, why are we still even doing this? I mean, 211 points. Jason's in Uniondale. What's up, Jace? Hey, how's it going? Uh, Good. Crazy. I mean, you, you talk about timing with this whole Patino stuff. He couldn't have asked for 
a worse timing to, uh, you know, kind of go off the rails like he did in that presser yeah. with, you know, just of how quiet, you know, the sports world is with, in, with only really the NBA All-Star game to rival him in, in some hockey. So yeah. this whole thing is really, really uh, took storm. I cover St. John's and no presser has, that he's done. And he said some crazy stuff in pressers this year. Mm-hmm. Um, no crest presser went, you know, basically nationally viral like the one yesterday did. Now, Jason, you say you cover St. John's. You cover for who? I cover for an independent college site uh, known as uh, Daily Dose of Poops. I am a seasoned, uh, credentialed uh, writer. I've traveled mm-hmm. to a couple games, and I'm at every home game. Okay, so what have you – What is? how is he blaming players that he personally brought in? Right. Help, help so me understand whole, that, Jason. <laughs> his, I, I agree. He And nothing he said was wrong, but he just took it way, way too far. My my take is that he's going based off of the the statement that he didn't have a full, you know, offseason to get his, you know, feet under him and kind of get the guys he necessarily wanted. Um, I'm not sure if that's really what he's trying to say because it, you know, it clearly looks like he's trying to defend himself as a coach like Michael Kay said earlier. But is he trying to go day, elsewhere like he, Michael Kay said earlier? <laughs> is, he try, is he trying to get an exit strategy here? No, no, no. He He's very comfy up in Mamaroneck. He wanted a power conference job where he didn't really have to uproot his life and move anywhere else, too. He loves where he's at at winged foot, so he's not going to be going anywhere. But I, they, they listen, they, they whiffed on some of these portal guys. Um, they went the mid-major route with what they hoped would be the arguably their leading scorer in Jordan Dingle. Hasn't panned out. He hasn't been able to transition from the Ivy to the Big East. Um, he wanted Walter Clayton, which, which was his other guard at Iona. Uh-huh. And he opted to go back home to Florida. Um, it wasn't an NIL thing. What, 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 what I keep seeing is people worried that St. John's isn't going to have the NIL to retool and get this thing back up going. St. John's is in a really good spot NIL-wise. They just uh-huh. – over they just evaluated wrong in this season and the portal could be hit or miss unfortunately for them it was a miss this year with some of the guys they brought in aside from danis jenkins they haven't gotten a bunch out of anyone joel soriano has fell off a cliff and if you only have one guy doing all the work it's not going to work some of these guys just haven't been able to transition i will say this and thanks for filling filling us in jason and keep up the good work um when you're a coach if you're a player at any level Okay, I don't care what level, college, pro, high school, whatever. And you pick up or somebody sends you a text or you get an alert. And it says, as it did on on, uh, ESPN.com, Jeff Borzello did the article. And the headline was, Fading St. John's, quote, can't guard anybody, unquote, Rick Pitino says. And you go down and the first quote, the first paragraph says, Following St. John's eighth loss in their past 10 games, Coach Rick Pitino lamented his team's lack of toughness, toughness and athleticism, saying, quote, this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching, end of quote. Wow. And then further down, quote, if I had said I was disappointed, that would be the understatement of the year, he said, quote, our lateral quickness and our toughness is just something I've never witnessed in all my years of coaching. We are so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling. And really, it's not about losing. Even winning, when I watch the film, I see unathletic plays. I see people that don't handle the ball, that are just interested in taking quick shots. It's been a disappointing year. Well, I don't know what to tell you, Coach. 
Not getting better. You're gonna have to go back and you know, there's go. I guess, I guess if you got a scholarship to St. John's, you you might not get a second one. Because remember, scholarships are renewed yearly. So I don't know. Might not be good. Dave's in Jersey. What's up, Dave? I was, I was, Mr. Hardesty, I was listening to you about the All-Star team, All-Star mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. I got a what a third team I call the snub team, and I think this team would beat both teams. We don't, I only have a problem at the center position, but Kyrie, Fox, Drew Holiday, Kay Cunningham, Thompson, Draymond Green, DeRozan, and Butler – and I put Victor and Sabonis at my centers, but I do need a center. But I think with Kyrie, Cade, Fox, they can challenge those that all-star game. All right, but Dave, thanks for the phone call. You, They could, but are they going to – we're talking about all the points that were scored. We're not really talking about who was the best team winning or losing. We're talking about really the amount of points. I mean, listen – the West scored 186 points. Let's not, you know, <laughs> they, they, they didn't score as much, but they put some points up too. They had no trouble scoring. They just had trouble hitting. They had no trouble scoring. When we return, we'll turn our attention to the New York Yankees. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Giancarlo Stanton <laughs> did not look like Giancarlo Stanton. Hardest in for Grasso on 98.7 ESPN. Joe Leo, Yankee fan, when you saw Giancarlo Stanton standing next to Aaron Judge in the outfield, what did you say? What was the first thing that came to your mind? What happened to Giancarlo Stanton? <laughs> if that makes him Miami, Giancarlo, I'm here for it. I'm happy. I don't want him lumbering around the bases and falling on a top home plate like it's his last thing that he ever does in his life. I want him to be a baseball player and an outfielder again. I don't want him to be this version of himself again. So maybe maybe it works. Now, he was also asked, you remember Brian Cashman made some comments about him, you know, being hurt and going to be hurt again and so on and so forth. So Stanton was asked about Cashman's comments. Back in November, Cashman told us that getting hurt seemed to be part of your game. What was your reaction when you heard that? Uh, he knows my reaction to that. Have you guys communicated since November? Are, are you guys in a good place relationship-wise? Yes, we have. Uh, this is his response to what Cashman had to say. And listen, for him, and I give him credit, very few people have been booed, criticized, and I'm not saying not rightfully so, than Stanton. And he handles it, he handles it well. He doesn't hide from it. He said last year he was not happy with the way he was. He was not happy. He owned his bad performances. And it looks as though in this offseason, he's went out and done something about it. He also indicated in another quote that I saw uh, in the athletic, that he's also making some adjustments with his swing. So we'll wait and see what happens. We'll wait and see if that is the thing that changes for him. We'll wait and see if this adds, you know, the ability for him to stay healthy, for him for him to be able to 
be more effective for him to be in the lineup because that's ultimately what he has to do. And listen, give him credit for understanding that at 34, he's got to make an adjustment. He can't continue to be the player that he was. Maybe the bat speed's a little slower. I don't know. But he's he has to make an adjustment. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect the you know, expect different results. Can't do it. Can't do it. So I'm hoping for his sake that he is better than what he was last season because, uh, you know, I would like to see that he's been rewarded for what he's trying to do. And I give him a lot of credit for that. I do. Because it's not easy. But he looks, he doesn't look as tight, Joe. He doesn't look as muscular. He looks more flexible. And listen, if I'm a Yankee fan, I'm not trying to get him speeding around the bases. Okay, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to make him. But can he run? You know, this guy can eat. You know, but yeah, I. I mean, last year he had trouble making it from second to home. I just want him to be able to run like a regular human being because it it looked like it hurt last year him running. I think it did. I think it did, and part of it was he was, you know, he was concerned that he was going to get hurt again. You know, and he had been on the injury list for a while. Well, that's the question I would probably ask him is, do you think coming into camp in this shape, do you think you're better off for 162? And if the answer is yes, then I'm inclined to believe him because he faces the media every single day and doesn't lie to us. No, and doesn't. that's admirable for how the media and the fans have treated him since he's gotten here. Yeah. I mean, like I said, he has faced it every day. And, you know, they need him. I mean, if he can give you a little bit, Joe, with Soto and Judge, your offense should be fabulous. Who are you pitching to? Exactly. Two, three, four, who are you pitching to? Exactly. You will finally have that conversation that we've had years ago about the, the lengthening of the Yankee lineup. That it's actually a circular lineup again that at least it's a lengthy lineup. You would. You'd have that conversation again. And if he does what he's supposed to do, that takes, you know, guys like Glaber Torres, who's potentially in a walk here, that takes the pressure off of him in the mm-hmm. five-hole. Rizzo coming back off the concussion. He doesn't have to produce as much. So, and I think, you know, I think Stanton wants to perform. He does. So, and I also think he kind of wants to change the the narrative around him and maybe play the outfield a little bit more. That's why he's showing up in this. Which, you know, if you don't have to play Judge 150 games or Soto 150 games, he's a decent outfielder when healthy, when he can actually move. So we'll see. Yeah. And I'll say this. uh, When I've seen him, he's been more consistent at bat, more successful when he plays the outfield. He's not David Ortiz. Yeah, it's hard just to be a DH. You know, it's hard. And to some players, they look at it as a demotion. And that's clearly how he took it. So we'll see how he does this year. When we return, Frank Isola, Yes Network, will join us. We'll get his thoughts on the situation with uh, Jacques Vaughn and what he thought about the All-Star game last night. That's next. It's Hardesty for Grasso on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. 
We welcome in now Frank Isola. Does a tremendous job covering the Nets with the Yes Network. And, of course, you can hear him talk about the NBA on Satellite Radio, Sirius Satellite Radio, the starting lineup with his co-host, Brian Scalabrini. Hi, Frank Isola. How are you? Larry, what's going on? How are you, my friend? So, Frank, good. you've covered how many All-Star yeah, games good. in your career? <laughs> Ooh, a lot. A lot, you know. Probably the more memorable one was 98, Michael Jordan. We thought it would be his last uh, all-star game in a Bulls uniform, which it turned out to be, and he won the MVP that year at Madison Square Garden. That one was uh-huh. pretty cool. Yeah. The last few ones, I was in Indiana. It wasn't nothing memorable about uh, certainly Sunday's game. 211 points. 211 points for the East. Frank, is this what we're going to expect? Can anything be done to turn this around to have it? And, and listen, I understand it's a competition, and I'm, I'm not expecting people to play Tom Thibodeau defense, but can you get in the way of some people? Yeah, and I, I think really what the league should do, I mean, I know everyone wants to come up with all these gimmicks and offer people, you know, you know, maybe have like a winner-take-all type of thing. The players are getting paid enough money as it is. You know, it used to be guys would compete, and, uh, you know, they would have a little bit of pride, keep – keep the game relatively close until the fourth quarter. Then the fourth quarter guys really got after it, which you know was always a good thing. And that really happened a few years ago out in LA, the first year of that, they switched up the, they, they pick sides at the Elam ending. That game was pretty competitive, but I think, you know, when they're picking, you know, when the guys get named to the all-star team, they should just ask the players, are you going to come and you're going to compete? Like are you, I mean, we're not to your point, Larry, we're not asking you to pick up guys, 94 feet, 96 feet, but can you at least, compete the entire game and if you say that you're not going to do that then you know what just stay home and don't get somebody else like that to me is the, the biggest thing forget about all the gimmicks you just need the players to try a little bit more and i also think the coaches could help out if maybe the players you know a few possessions you kind of walk the ball up court and maybe run a half court offense which yeah. would slow things down you know the, the players are so skilled and i get the three-point shot but there was a game last night where there were three fouls which tells you all you need to know no one's asking guys to go out there and, you know, the no layup rule, he's going to, you know, Charles Oakley's going to knock someone in the head so they don't convert a layup. But when, when there's only three fouls being called, that tells you all you need to know. I mean, last night was a really poor exhibition. And if you look at what the commissioner said afterwards, the way that he handed the trophy to Giannis Antetokounmpo, you can tell that he wasn't pleased either. I, I, I thought it was really poor on, on behalf of the players. Considering the money they get, considering that the game is for the fans, fans pick those guys to be all-stars. All that stuff is going to matter on their resumes and their Hall of Fame credentials. And to do that last night was not good. It really wasn't. It really wasn't. And, you know, like I said, I'm I'm with you. I like it from the old days. You know, have all the fun you want to in three quarters. Then the fourth quarter, give me, show me something. Show me. And I think that's what they thought was going to happen, Frank. That's why they went back to the East versus West. I think they thought, you know, maybe we do that. We go back to the four quarters. Maybe we can get a little bit more competition, even if it's in the fourth quarter, but not last night. Larry, last night, um, they actually had um, Larry Bird and Dr. J, Julie Serving, address you know, all 24 players before the game, and they basically implored them to you know, make it a competitive game. You know, the game's on national TV. There are people that paid a lot of money to be there. And you know, the, the one thing about the game, it, it went really quickly because I think there were a total of five free throws <laughs> and three fouls, but it, it, it just wasn't good. And you, know, you have all these stars that are at the game. And, and the thing that kills me the most is, you know, Kobe Bryant was quoted in 2019. I think it was September of 2019. So just a few months uh, before he tragically passed, 
And he he talked about the All Star game. He said that there's a, you know in the summertime, guys play harder in pickup games at UCLA, and they need the All Star game to be more competitive. And when Kobe died, he had all these players saying, "I'm going to have the Mamba mentality. I'm going to be like Kobe, Mamba mentality." Do you think Kobe Bryant would play like that in an All Star game? No. You know, he, he would go out and compete. Like Mike, Michael Jordan kind of set the standard in the 80s, in the 90s, and Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, the same thing, with the way that they competed. And then you had Kobe Bryant. And really what's gone on in the last you know five, six, seven years, it's, it's not good for the league. It really isn't. It's not. Frank Isola is my guest. All right, Frank, uh, earlier today the Nets made a move on Jacques Vaughn, and Kevin Ollie is going to be the interim. Uh, are you surprised? A little bit, just that, you know, I thought maybe, you know, they did give Jock an extension last year, and I thought they'd give him to the end of the season. I think if you look at the roster, you know, it's basically a, a team that you would expect would be mediocre. You know, that doesn't mean that they that they should have a losing record. doesn't mean that they can't be in the play-in tournament. And those goals, and that's still a realistic goal. But, you know, there's been a, a bunch of performances this year. Obviously, the, their last performance against Boston and you can't use the all-star break as an excuse because Boston could easily use that as an excuse. They had the best record in the league. They didn't take off the last game, and they didn't have Jalen Brown and Chris Epps Przingis playing. They were 47-17 in that game, and the score at halftime was 68-32. to The Nets eventually trailed by 56. They lost the game by 50. They had a game against um, the Clippers last month where the Clippers ended the game on a 22-0 run. There was a game recently against the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers won a 21 over. You know, Jock Vaughn as a coach has to try to figure out a way to stop those runs, and it didn't happen. I just think, you know, it, it's too bad for him that I do think that he's a good guy, but it's hard. You know, it's a talent league, and if you look around, the Nets don't have a superstar, and it's really hard to win when you don't have one. When they had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden playing at a high level, you know, they did really well a few years ago, and they made it to the second round, probably would have beaten Milwaukee in that round had all those guys not gotten hurt, but the roster isn't good, and now they're moving on to get another coach. Frank, does Dennis Schroeder help them from a point guard standpoint to at least settle down that offense? Because there have been some games that they lost in the fourth quarter that I think had they had decent, just decent point guard play, might have been a little different. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, they did. They lost that game to Miami after they came back from uh, Paris, and you know they were up 16 in that game, blew that. The game before they went to Paris, they were playing Portland at home. They blew that big lead. I think you're right. You know, the one I think the Nets looked at it this way: they weren't going to sign Spencer Dinwiddie, so and his contract is up at the end of the year. So they take on Dennis Schroeder, who's entering the final year of his contract next season. You know, and Dennis Schroeder is a professional player; he's been around. I get it a lot of places, but he's a talented offensive guy. And if you know, you go back to the summer. You know, at the FIBA World Cup, there were a lot of good players that played in the World Cup. And Dennis Schroeder, leading Germany to the gold medal, ended up being the MVP of the FIBA World Cup. So he's a talented player, certainly not a superstar. But I thought, I think where the Nets are right now, it uh, it was an upgrade. And I think also the Nets are looking not so much this summer, but next summer when a lot of players come off the books, including, I believe, Ben Simmons should be off, uh, Dennis Schroeder. That's probably what they're gearing up for. Yes, this summer they want to do something. But next summer could be a big summer for them. Now, they've got some free agents they have to make some decisions on, right? Isn't Nick Claxton coming up this year? Yep, he, 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 he's one as well, and that's an interesting one because he's talented. There's no question about it. The fact that they didn't move him at the trade deadline leads me to believe that they're going to bring him back. That's the thing. I think, if, you know, Larry, if you look at the roster, they have really, really good role players. The problem is you don't have a star. Like, Mikel Bridges was on the Phoenix Suns. They went to a finals. 
I think he was probably the third or fourth best player after Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and it was probably DeAndre Ayton and then him. Cam Johnson's a good player. Dorian Finney-Smith is a good player. You know, they have really good role players. Cam Thomas is a, is a big-time scorer off the bench. Maybe he doesn't play great defense, but he certainly could score. Daron Sharp has been really good this season. They have terrific role players. You know, Roy, they traded Royce O'Neal. They were, uh, teams were interested in a lot of players that the Nets have because they look at them and say, you know what, that could be like a really good piece to our team, the third, fourth, or fifth guy. But in the NBA, as you know, you've got to have stars to win. You know, the Knicks essentially developed two stars. Mm-hmm. By you know, by trading for Julius Randle, maybe they're going to a free agent. I forget now, but also signing Jalen Brunson as a free agent. Those guys became stars. Somehow you got to get stars. I think they were hoping that Mikel Bridges would be that guy, but he hasn't been that guy yet. You know, one last thing on on the Nets, Frank. For me, it just seems if Cam Thomas is a terrific young talent, if we if they could just get him to understand good shot selection a little bit, to rein him in a little bit, he could be really, really talented guy. No, I, I think you're right, and I do think he was getting better in that department probably the first two or three months of the season. I think the last couple of weeks, he's kind of reverted back a little bit to his first couple of years in the league where he's a little too erratic and he takes bad shots. But you know what? The guy goes in there, and he's got a lot of confidence. He certainly doesn't lack in that. You know, They, they had a game that they played a couple of Fridays ago in L.A. It was probably about a month ago now against the Lakers. And they were in danger of getting blown out in the first half of that game. Cam Thomas came in, and he settled everything down, and he was he was attacking the basket. He was making shots. He kept them in the game, and then the Nets had a great fourth quarter and ended up beating the Lakers. So there have been a bunch of games this year that, you know, even games that they lost on the road to the Warriors when he scored 40, he was terrific in that game. But if not for him, they would have gotten blown out that game. They had a chance at the end but didn't make plays. So I, I think Cam Thomas – has been I've been kind of impressed with the way that he's played this year. He's not the perfect player, still has a ways to go, but he's a young, talented player. And when you watch him on a heavy basis, I mean, the dude can score. He, I mean, he can light it up at any moment. Frank, I sold as my guest. All right, Frank, a couple of questions on the Knicks before I let you go and get ready for your early, early morning show on Sirius Satellite Radio. Um, with the injuries they have, you figure – and we know he's not going to be reevaluated for another couple of weeks. So let's be on the positive side in our hypothetical situation. Let's say Randall and OG are back by the end of March. Do the Knicks have enough to be at least 500, a little better than 500, until they can get these two guys back for what would be a playoff? I, I think. Yeah, I, I think they can be. You know, I think losing Hartenstein and then Dante DiVincenzo was big because, you know, the Knicks were rolling. And then when those guys went down, that, that's what really impacted them. So I think if they had Isaiah Hartenstein over the last few games, I think they would have won a couple of those. I think the fact, you know, this break kind of comes at a good time because it gives them, you know, the, the Knicks a chance, A, to get some rest. Plus, you know, they'll be in the gym, I guess, tomorrow. I think that's when teams are allowed to come back and practice. So I, I think they could do that. And the key is, you know, you know, they have a point guard who's very driven, and the team takes on the personality of its best player. They tend to do that. And, you know, I always remember Jeff Van Gundy saying, your best player will lead you. It just depends on which way he's going to lead you. He's going to lead you in a good way or a bad way. And there's no question that Jalen Brunson leads him in a good way. And they have a hard, you know, driving coach. And I think the, the coach and the, and the point guard are kind of in lockstep. You know, they, they kind of think the same way. They act the same way. And I think that trickles down to all the players. I get it. You know, they, they were on this incredible run, and then all of a sudden things went south when guys got hurt. But, you know, 
Tom Thibodeau over his career, you know, he won a playoff series with a backcourt of DJ Augustine and Nate Robinson. So he, you know, he'll figure out a way to get the most out of guys. And, you know, look at Isaiah Hartenstein. That guy was the, you know, backup center by a lot. And then all of a sudden he had to play because of Mitchell Robinson and he became a really important player to the team. I think not having him has been huge because he's, a, you know, he sets screens, he rebounds, he defends, he runs the court. That, that's been, uh, you know, he's a smart player when he's out there. That, that's been a big miss for them. Have you been surprised at how good Precious Achua has been since he's got to the Knicks? Yeah, because, you know, I mean, look at all the teams that he's been on, and, and he bounced around a lot. It's funny, too. You know, the one thing about the Toronto Raptors, you know, Pascal Siakam was a good player that was acquired by uh, the Indiana Pacers. You know, OG Ananobi, obviously a good player acquired by the Knicks. And then Scotty Barnes becomes an all-star. Well, you know, they were all together in Toronto this year. And they weren't winning anything. And since those, you know, since uh, you know, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam left, Toronto never wins. But you know, those guys fit. You know, they fit a role with the, you know, with the teams that they came to. And OG Ananobi has been a good addition. But remember one thing about OG Ananobi: if you go back to you know the, the, the Raptors finals run back in 2019, he was hurt. You know, he, he has been injury prone. I think he probably arrived at the at the Knicks with that issue with his elbow got worse like who you know who knows how long it's going to take for him to get back it seems like that's going to happen at some point like you mentioned probably in March same thing with Julius Randle but Prestige 2 has been good I think you know he's played for some good coaches around the league you know he, he broke in with the Miami Heat so you know he got good coaching in Miami and I think I think Tom's done a pretty good job with him too sometimes look at the lineups that they're trotting out there it's not you know <laughs> it's certainly not an all-star team they've been really competitive I think they've had some tough results as of late, but I, I, I think I expect them to bounce back. Yeah, I expect, and I, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what Bogdanovich can do once he gets really familiar with the offense. You know, another, the one thing that was missing from this team, Frank, and you know, you've covered the league a thousand years, is you got to have more than two or three scorers, especially when you get to the postseason. And mm -hmm. at least now you look at them, they got like four or five, five or six, maybe six scorers on this team. And you have to be able to, you have to have guys that can knock down shots. And when you have guys that get double teamed, like Brunson does and Julius Randle when he plays, you have to be able to spread the floor with shooting. And when you have a guy like Bogdanovich out there, plus of his size, that's another advantage as well. I, I thought I thought that was a really good pickup. I get it. You know, he and Alec Burke were playing for a terrible uh, Detroit Piston team, but it's 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 like anything. It's fit. You know, OG Ananobi, you know, wasn't winning with the Toronto Raptors. He comes to the Knicks and he fits in better with the Knicks and the players that they have. But I also again. I give a lot of credit to the coach and to the point guard that, that make it work. And I think, you know, to your point, I think Bogdanovich is, is going to help a lot. You know how it is. I mean, think about from his point of view, Bogdanovich. You're playing for Detroit. You're on this run where you can't win a game. You're probably wondering, where the heck is my career going? You have all these young players on Detroit, so they'd rather play then. You've been dealing with some injuries. Then all of a sudden you get traded to the Knicks, and now every game is intense, and every game, you know, you know, the team is looking to win and they have aspirations of making a big playoff run. It must be like a bit of a shock to the system. I think for him, the all-star break probably comes at a really good time because <laughs> I'm sure his head is probably still spinning a little bit from the trade deadline. But I, I, I think he's really going to be able to help them as, as they get into March and April and for the next day, hopefully May and beyond. All right. So let's go the other way. What's Evan Fournier thinking going to Detroit? <laughs> Thank God I get to yeah, play. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, it's a weird one. Like, Quentin Grimes was playing. And remember mm -hmm. when he came out and had that comment about being unhappy? Well, you know, the coach liked him. 
and the coach was playing him. So, you know, when you almost talk your way out of a situation, you don't know, like, I don't know if Monty Williams is going to like Quentin Grimes or wherever Quentin Grimes is going to end up, whether the coach is going to like him. So Evan Fournier, I get it. He was frustrated. But I think if you go back to last season and you look at the record when he was playing and he wasn't knocking down shots and what the record was after he left, it's not easy for coaches. Coaches have to make tough calls. That's why they get paid the big bucks. Look at what Steve Kerr recently did. Clay Thompson's been a huge part of their success. They have this kid, Brandon Pajemski. He's been playing much better. He fits in better with the starting lineup with Steph Curry. What does Steve Kerr do? He's, he, he brings uh, Clay Thompson off the bench. It first started out with not playing him in the fourth quarter of games, and Clay was a little bent out of shape, but it is all about the team. And I think for Evan Fournier, I get the frustration. But I'll say this about Evan Fournier. You know, he, whenever he had the opportunity, he was taking shots at the coach, certainly, about his, and then about his own situation. But when it got to the FIBA World Cup, go look at how France did. France was a major, major disappointment at the World Cup last summer. And Evan Fournier got to play all the time. So it was put up time, put up, you know, put up or shut up. You know, he did not perform for France. Yeah, he didn't. Last thing, Frank, uh, isn't it weird for the Knicks to be in a situation where we're not talking about transition, who's going to be the next head coach, what's going on in the front office? They've got some continuity, which is something that, Listen, as you know, you got to have if you're going to be successful in, in, in sports, whatever the league is, you got to have some continuity in management. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Larry. Like when I started covering the team in the 90s, there was drama surrounding the team because there just always is. And it's, you know, it's the Knicks and they're a big deal. So probably any little thing probably gets blown out of proportion. But in terms of being stable, you know, you looked at ownership, you looked at the front office, you looked at the coaching staff, and then you looked at the star player and Patrick Ewing, and that was stability there. You know, then, you know, they basically went through 20 years where it's mostly turmoil. There were a couple of good years in there. You know, with Carmelo, what was that now? More than 10 years ago mm-hmm. when they beat uh, Boston in the first round and ended, that you know, that Boston Celtic team and probably should have had a, you know, a better – they should have played Miami in the conference finals. They just didn't perform well against Indiana. But now, you know, you look at the Knicks over the last few years, and I think, you know, certainly it's a more stable situation, and I think players around the league, Notice that as well. I think a lot of players didn't want to come to New York because they thought it would be mostly drama. It's going to be dysfunction. I don't really want to be a part of it. And you have to remember, you know, if you go back to the 90s and the success of the Knicks, it really started with Pat Riley, who was an assistant coach under Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy. And that continued, you know, through the 90s. They made, uh, you know, a couple of conference finals under Jeff. They made the NBA finals under him. Who was on Jeff's staff? Tom Thibodeau. And now Tom is coaching the team, you know, all these years later. But there is a connection there between Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy, and Tom Thibodeau. There's a certain way of doing things. And, you know, there's, you know, there's certain expectations and there's accountability. And every day it's all about winning. So I think the Knicks, this Knicks team, has done a really good job with everything that kind of swirls around, you know, playing in New York and all the other nonsense. These guys have done a really good job focusing on what the, you know, the, the, the goal is. Every day is to get better and to try to win and again. I think a lot of that trickles down to the point guard whose father was on the 99 team, whose father played for Jeff, whose father, you know, played and worked for Tom. You know, you don't, you don't think Jalen Brunson knew what he was getting into when he's playing for Tom Thibodeau. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly what he wanted. And I think when you're surrounded, and Larry, you know this, it's in every line of work. And, you know, you, you know, cover teams for a long time. You need serious people. And that's what the Knicks have right now. And that's why, you know, it, it's gotten much better. Jalen Brunson's a big-time player. I loved the kid when he was at Villanova. I knew him 
I knew him. My daughter was going to school at the time. I know the Brunson family really well. I can't believe he lasted until the second round. It's absurd. All the guy's done is win. And what he's done for the Knicks this year. I mean, did I think he would have this kind of season? No. Did I think he was going to make the Knicks better and they were going to have a chance to be a contending team? Absolutely. And I think they got a really good chance. To me, there's question marks with every team in the Eastern Conference, including the Celtics, because I love my guy Porzingis, but he's hurt a lot. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen come playoff time. That's right. Frank, 